0: Household, a biblical understanding of stewardship. When I say stewardship, I can almost guarantee that there's a couple things come to mind. Um, so one would be, you know, monetary gifts, charitable contributions. Um, the other one would be something like thrift. Um, Now, both of those are connected um, to stewardship, um, but I'm not going to talk very much about either of those today. Um, And you'll see why in a little bit. Um, Just because there's some other stuff uh, in the Bible that gives a basis, I think, for thinking about those, um, but also gives us a little bit different focus for idea of stewardship. Um, As an introduction, I'd like us to read a passage in Luke, um, Luke 12, 1 to 48. Um, So there's a parable here, and then there's Jesus giving some of the lessons of the parable right after it. Um, it's situated in one of Jesus' discourses. Jesus has been talking to kind of a crowd. Um, He's been talking about being ready for his return. Um, He's been talking about things having to do with money and so on. And at the beginning of our passage, in verse 41, Peter says, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Are you talking to us or are you talking to everybody? The Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager or steward whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But, if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink, and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces, and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him do they entrust much, they will demand the more." Now, the context of this passage I think does make it clear that one central theme here is giving to the needy. Um, That in some sense, the being set over others to give food should be taken literally. Um, But that's not the part of the passage that I'm talking about this morning. Um, I'm using it as illustration of the structure what is it to be a steward, a manager, or, I will stick with the Greek term here a few times, I think it can be helpful, as you'll see in a little bit. Um, what is the oikonomos, what is it to be an oikonomos, a steward or manager? And there's a structure in this passage, a very simple one but I want us to call our kind of attention to, um, this person is responsible to someone. Um, Hopefully that's familiar. When we think about stewardship, in this case, the servant was responsible to his master. He had to answer to his master. Um, Generally, we think about being responsible to God. He's entrusted with something. There's a thing that you are managing, the thing that you are administering in this case was the food rations in this household. Uh, But there's another piece that I think uh, doesn't always get as much attention uh, when we fill out what does it mean to be a steward. And that is, he was responsible for someone. He was administering this for someone. Now you've got to define the three elements to get this sense of what is a steward. In this case, it was the staff of the household. And that's the basic structure that we'll see throughout a number of biblical applications of stewardship this morning. Yeah, we'll continue on in this passage. Um, So he was a steward in a limited sense, right? He was a steward to deliver the food rations to the members of the household while his master was gone. But Jesus says, if he does this job well, he is going to be entrusted with more. He said he will set him over all that he has, which probably means both being in charge of a lot more physical things and a lot more people as an administrator. And then Jesus also puts this principle here in commenting on the paragraph at the end, right? The one who did not know but did something deserving a beating will receive a light beating. The one who knew will receive a severe beating. The more you're entrusted with, the more this required. This idea of responsibility um, there. Okay, so an outline here. Uh, First of all, what is this oikonomos, or steward? Um, And then we'll look quickly at how this metaphor is used as in reference to apostles, particularly Paul, and to bishops in a local church. Um, But then where I want to camp is the idea of believers as stewards. Um, The text in 1 Peter will be kind of our text where we all think of ourselves as stewards or administrators. Um, The last one, business people as stewards, is supposed to be kind of an illustration of applying the concept of stewardship more broadly. And by the way, it's not. I won't say exactly what you expect me to say there either, I don't think. (laughs) Uh, But I'll let that for when we get there. Uh, Before I jump into that, I have a little... It's an exercise sheet. Um, Can I get, let's see. Sean, can you just pass these out? Um, These can be filled in later or now. I just gave you a blank with those categories of uh, what you're responsible to, who you're responsible to, what you're entrusted with, uh, who you're responsible for as a place to, you know, if you want to Jot down notes now you can, or if you want to take it home and do that as a journaling exercise, think about my role as a steward. made a little form to help with that. Okay, what is the oikonomos, the steward or manager? Um, First of all, we'll be real helpful and give you another, define a Greek term with a Greek term. Doesn't necessarily help, but anyhow. A manager role within an oikos. And actually, I'm giving you these names. I'm giving you the Greek because I want it to sound a little bit strange. And so I want us to think about it as, you know, something unfamiliar. So what is an oikos? If give you a one word, it would be house. And indeed, it could refer to a structure. Thank you, Sean. An oikos could refer to a structure, you know, that a family lives in like we say when we say house. Um, Often, we'll translate it household. So we're not talking about something made out of wood and stone, but out of a social entity, about a social entity, about a group of people. Familiar enough, Um, but a question. And here I'd like a few responses. If you think about how terms like house and household are used in the Bible, what are some ways that they're different than when we talk about house and household? Um, Probably most, mostly in our culture, it's referring to house. Often. Yeah. Right. So we're often just referring to a physical house, which, you know, the Bible uses it that way, but not very often. Okay, right. So yeah, if I say household in our society, most likely we're thinking mom and dad and children and possibly a grandma if we're stretching it. Um, The oikos starts there. Uh, with the idea of a husband and wife and children. Um, But, you know, the scripture is clearly a multi-generational entity. Uh, For example, the first Timothy, we have this reference to taking care of widows. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And it's talking about widows who have children or grandchildren. So these are, you know, perhaps your parents, perhaps your grandparents that are somehow within your oikos. It's a larger structure. You'll see the same thing about being a larger structure. And we talked about heirs and so on. Um, but also, you know, as Tad pointed out, this is a much larger structure. It includes non-family members. At least not in the sense of a nuclear family. Um, You you read the New Testament, there's slaves and servants are part of the household, um, routinely. Uh, Sometimes even beyond just slaves to Freeman. Uh, For example, thinking back in Genesis, Abraham says, The heir of my house is going to be Eliezer, the servant. Um, If I remember right, there's also a reference to having 300 men born in his house. Obviously not in a physical structure. Um, For Abraham there wasn't even a physical structure, right? There was a collection of tents uh, rather than one physical structure. Um, But a large kind of social group. Or, you know, expanding Talk about war between the house of Saul and the house of David. Abner was making himself strong in the house of Saul. Abner was a general um, working in there. Um, And I camp on this a little bit, um, both to fill out this picture of what is an oikonomos, and we'll come back to that, what is a household manager, um, but also just because this house structure is so kind of fundamental to so many of the different metaphors in the New Testament. Talk about a house, as in this uh, larger entity. And just again, to think about how different this is. um, The heir as a successor to leading the oikos. We think of an heir and we think, okay, here's somebody that gets the check once the estate is settled. Um... You talk about heirs in the Bible and you're talking about this is the person that's going to carry on with this establishment. Um, If you think about inheriting a farm, it can come closer, right? If you think about inheriting a farm, typically the heir would be the one who carries on the farm. But that's very different than just the one who gets the check if there's anything left once the estate is settled. (laughs) Um, So there's the contrast um, Galatians four, there's interesting, and it's there. It's talking about being, it's talking about God's people as not being slaves, but being sons, being heirs. Um, but he points out that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and. There's our word stewards. Under guardians and stewards, uh, until the date set by his father. And so again, we get this picture of a large establishment uh, where the child is perhaps governed as well. These people have a role. Uh, So what is the household manager? And I went through the context to emphasize mainly that somebody has got a role in a significant social structure, Um, it's not the city, although this term got used. Uh, There's a reference in speaking about the idea of a city, Um, there's a reference to Erastus the city treasurer, or the Greek says the oikonomos of the city extending it out to being over the city but normally we're talking about something smaller than a city something much larger than a nuclear family in which someone might have responsibilities Um, quote from a commentator the steward was in charge of the whole administration of the house or the estate, he controlled the staff he issued the supplies but however much he controlled the household staff, he himself was still a slave where the master was concerned. She gives a nice picture of the kind of institution uh, that our writers would have had as a backdrop. But again, to be a steward is to have a kind of manager, administration role of something. Something that you're entrusted with. Not strictly yours, you're answering to somebody else's. Um, you're responsible for someone there. Um, which is why the idea of, sometimes we think of a steward as, say, an investment manager. Um, so, Somebody's got money to invest, and he hands it over to someone who's supposed to be more skilled with that, you know, who has it in trust to invest it. Um, But if that's your only picture of a steward, if that's your only metaphor of a steward, you know, you've got these responsible to the owner, he's entrusted with these funds, and eventually he'll return them. Um... That's not the full picture of the metaphor of a manager because that doesn't have you in a social role within that person's estate there. Uh, If it's simply a matter of kind of returning the funds. Let's just give, think about this parable. I'll do another little made-up example here. So, I'm going to pick on Kyle this morning. Uh, Think back to the parable. So, I want you to imagine that your dad has to travel for a month for some reason. And he tells you that you are the manager of the firewood while he's gone. So now, if you are like the really bad steward in the parable, the one that was eating and drinking, eating and drinking and getting drunk. If you were the, you wouldn't be. Okay, but just to illustrate, it. if you were the really bad one, what you'd do is you'd get on the phone and you'd call Jason and you'd call Sean and you'd say, "Guess what? I'm in charge of the wood pile. We're going to have the largest bonfire you ever saw tonight." And then three weeks later everybody at home is freezing because there's no firewood, because he burned it all up for the bonfire. Right. So that would be a picture of not knowing who you're responsible for, who you're supposed to keep warm with this firewood. Um, now, if you were like, if you said, well, I'm a steward of the firewood, and so you said, You know what, we're not going to burn any firewood. There's going to be just as much on this pile when dad gets back as there was when he left. Not because I've been cutting more, but just because I haven't used any. And everybody freezes. Well, you wouldn't really have done any better job of being a steward, right? Because you still didn't get the idea of what it was for. But, you know, if this actually happened, I'm sure that what would happen is we'd have a nice, consistently warm house for a month. There. Um, So there's the picture. An administrator of something. In that case, an administrator of firewood. Um, Okay, so we'll move through a couple other biblical examples here and then get to the idea of all believers as stewards. Um, So Paul liked to talk about himself as a steward. And you see the same kind of structure here the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's answering to God. Um, he's entrusted with God's grace, which means here, I think, says the mystery. In other words, the gospel, um, especially the gospel for all nations. I was entrusted. And he took that to mean that he had a responsibility to spread this gospel. Um, he was responsible for particular churches where he worked, um, as he talks about in 1 Corinthians 4. Um, he also saw himself as responsible for something like establishing churches throughout the known world. Right? His thing was always, how can I bring the gospel to places where it has never been? I'm a steward of this mystery um, for you. Um, camp here a little bit because the other people called stewards in the bible are bishops now bishop is a word you don't hear outside of church right because it's our english word that kind of comes down from the greek and latin Um, but you know the greek word was a word with an ordinary meaning If you translate it into English, you get overseer, which is what the ESV uses here in a number of translations. Um, But it describes an overseer as being God's oikonomos. It lists qualifications based on that, um, gives some of the things that an overseer needs to do, including, it sounds like, basically telling some people to shut up or something says they must be silenced Um, and there you get the picture especially of the oikonamos as somebody in the household who is entrusted with with ruling some governing approaches and notice that term oikonamos compares the church to something like a household um, there But, of course, you know, within our congregation, we have two men serving as overseers, uh, thinking of themselves as stewards in this sense, um, Brother Dean and Brother Verlin. Um, but, you know, not all of us are stewards in the sense of a governing role within something like an oikos. Um, but, and this will bring me to my main text, there is a very important sense in which Each and every one of us in the church is a steward of something. Um, All believers. And turn with you, if you would, to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 4, and we'll start in verse 7. And this is letters to a church that is evidently experiencing some degree of suffering and persecution. And Paul is telling them about how to pull together, um, Paul, not Paul, Peter. <laughs> um, they're also here referred to as a household, which is significant. Okay. I'll read verse 7 to 11 and then we'll focus in on the stewardship part. The end of all things is at hand. as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, how do you think of yourself as someone within the church, within this, let's you know, compare to the household of God, God's household. Um, you are an administrator in the church. What are, are you an administrator of? Well, that's what's going to vary a lot. Each one has received a gift, and um, that gift is described as God's varied grace. Um, we talk about different gifts, we talk about different skills. Um something to do. Each one' has received a gift that's what you're entrusted with. <laughs> you're responsible to God, the master of the household, for what we do with this gift. And we're responsible for each other. This gift is to serve one another. Um, now we don't have a long list of gifts here, like we have if you go to. Romans or First Corinthians, you get a long list. You know, you get the word of knowledge and the word of wisdom, and you get exhortation, you get serving, and so on. But think about what's not comprehended here is either speaking or serving. Right? It's a broad terms, so but they wrap up anything you do. Now, this one is a bit sobering when you think about speaking. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. I mean, frankly, this is a bit intimidating um, to put that there. But when you think of speaking as God's steward, right, first you might think of formal speaking, the kinds of formal things that go with leading a Sunday school class or giving a message or giving it emotional or so on. Um, but it's not just the formal speaking, it's the uh, the encouragement, um, the admonition, the discussions, all those things that we have with each other where you are contributing uh, something to someone else. Uh, whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. That's maybe intimidating, too, but it should also be encouraging, right? God is giving the strength to use whatever giftings we have and to use them well, to use them energetically um, there. And so this is a network, right? Each one of us depends on the fact that other people are exercising their stewardship and other people depend on the fact that we are exercising our stewardship uh, which is what makes this a body. And um, In particular, because these things are so different, that's why I gave you that piece of paper, as I'd like you to take some time, not necessarily now, if you have notes now that's fine, but sometime soon, and you know, take time to think through. What is something that I'm distinctively entrusted with um, by God? Um, for what purpose? There. Again, this may be, one hand, maybe it's scary. A reminder to, you know, I've got to do my work diligently. <laughs> I need to do my speaking diligently. Maybe that feels like a lot of work, um, but it also should be encouraging, right? What I do matters. Um, It's something that God blesses, something that God rewards, something that's for God. There. Okay, and the last thing I'd like to do is just help us to think about expanding this beyond what we think of as spiritual gifts, Um, but to thinking of the principle of stewardship in a broader context. Um, Really, this should apply to Any job you see yourself working, Um, the illustration here is in terms of business, and I'll tell you what, it's not. So what I'm not talking about is stewardship of profits that come from business. Um, That is of course also an important thing, but that's not what I'm talking about. talking about it as a kind of skill or opportunity. And again, this is an illustration for a kind of skill. Um, the ability to organize work and resources to create value, allow the worker to share in that value. Okay, that's a mouthful. <laughs> um, but I can illustrate it with a kind of Story from the tales of my great uncle, I think, whom I have seldom met, but heard lots of stories about. Um, So one of his business ventures was making hay wagons and cattle feeders out of discarded pipe. Um, So he identified, hey, there's a pipe factory that has discards, bent pipe, broken pipe. I can hire somebody to send a truck up there, collect that pipe, you know. People can cut the pipe, bend it, weld it, make something. I can sell it. I've got profit. I can pay people to do this. Well, there's resources. There's the broken pipe. There's lots of people that are able to work. Um, He was the one that had the vision to put those things together in such a way that that could be a paying job. You know simple fact that you can drive a truck doesn't mean that you can make money driving a truck without somebody who can put together um, what needs done. Now if you're the kind of person who says yes of course that's obvious. There's a pile of bent pipe laying somewhere that I can buy and of course I can turn a profit on getting that pipe and making something you've got some skill or ability or training or something that has put you there that you're able to organize work and if you're that kind of person you might say yes anybody should be able to run their own business and maybe that's true Um, but there are particular advantages and we should appreciate um, the businessmen among us for that reason there are particular advantages that happen with a larger business Um, there are particular advantages to some people being able to go to work and do a job and somebody else figures out the structure within which that can be um, profitable and paying and so on and that ability itself um can be an exercise of a stewardship switch back to just a little bit more backdrop um, to build up some of the things I said there, right? So the, the Bible, the biblical principle for why workers get paid is something like a share of the crop. You know, The plowman should plow in hope, the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. These are servants, they're not still getting all the crop, um, but they're servants and they get something for the work they do. Um, Resources plus work produce the goods that we need, there's a share of. Um, It's the business person. You know, define it very broadly, but that directs the way we work with things in such a way that there's actually a share of the crop. Um, You can go out and plow. You can go out and thresh. But if there's no larger organization there such that it's part of an activity that's profitable at the end, you're not going to get a share of the crop from plowing a field that never gets planted, or that gets planted and never gets harvested, (laughs) harvested and never gets sold. Um, And it's a skill that is, a skill and an opportunity that's, Distributed differently um, among people. Um, so, to think of something like business as a stewardship um, is to think of somebody who's responsible to God for a skill, you know, there's a certain skill, skill, opportunity someone is entrusted with, and a responsibility for you know, consumers, workers, self. And I say consumers, there, right? You're not going to have an automobile without somebody with quite a bit of sophistication there. There's things that just aren't going to happen. Now, what am I saying here? Am I saying that if you have business skill, that means that God's calling in your life is to run a large business? (laughs) No, I'm certainly not saying that. Um, Am I saying that if you're self-employed, you should be looking to have employees. No, I'm not necessarily saying that. Um, There's such a thing as making your own job and organizing work for yourself without organizing it for others. Um, But I'm saying that's a possibility. Somebody could have a responsibility to start a business because they're the ones that have the ability to put people to work in useful ways, depending on circumstances and calling in life. Um, and I'm saying too that if you're operating a business and operating a business that employs other people, you might have only thought about it as you know, a way to get my own livelihood, but the fact is that you're also using a differential gift in a way that is blessing a community and blessing other people because You've organized the ability to work. Um, being a steward is a role that has um, dignity with it. Yeah. I mean, so I'll unpack this a little bit in terms of business in particular. Um, but we should also think about that with any kind of job we're doing, whether it feels spiritual or not. right? If it's just my, my labor at something. It's something that I'm administering that is benefiting others. By the way, the fact that you get your, li- your livelihood from it, the fact that you're paid to do something does not take away from it being stewardship. Some of the things that we're stewards of are things we're paid to do, and some of the things are things we're not paid to do. Um, but they're both stewards. Right? We're stewards of the things that we do of the abilities, that guests we use in church to benefit others. Um, you're also a steward of the abilities that you use in a job that you're paid to do. Um, you're using it and you're rightly getting a share of what comes from it there. Um, so yeah, in the end, stewardship is a, it's a challenge because I've got to answer to somebody, um, but it's also exciting because my work, the things I do, matter. Um, they matter to God. Um, God cares about what I'm doing. Um, they benefit others, and those are good things that should encourage us. Okay.